you be free from your passion and pride. There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's side. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Let's jump to the last one. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily as praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Right. Uh, I'm going to ask Dale to come up and lead us in prayer, and then James will come up and we will jump into Psalm 32. Well, good morning. Uh, we got here really early, which is when most of you get here, but uh, we, as you notice, we usually get in a few minutes after it starts. But uh, it was glad to, I was, we were glad to uh, be here early and visit with a few of you. It's an encouragement to come early next time. So um, Reuben and Janet are in the desert in Phoenix. In case you didn't know, they were there to honor someone that has honored them for many years at, I think, a 90th birthday party. So uh, anyway, it's a time of refreshing in the desert. And uh, uh, I asked James this morning, the last time he taught... Uh, he taught us a song from the psalm. And unfortunately, we don't have that, uh, we don't have another song from uh, the, the, the Psalm 32 that he'll be teaching today, but I'm sure that the, the message will be just as good. So anyway, so let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we, uh, we want to thank you for the privilege of being here, um, just uh, rousing us up from our sleep and bringing us here and gathering in fellowship uh, with you. And we ask you to bless our time together. And I ask you to bless James as he delivers a word from you from Psalm 32, message of uh, repentance, which is an entryway into the hiding place that you provide for us. And so we thank you for the many years of life that you've given us. And I ask you to just bless this group that uh, as long as there's beating in our hearts, Lord, that you will um, provide opportunities for us, that you'll grant us the grace to see them and to uh, take advantage of them and, and use you'll use us to, to be a blessing to others. So, Lord, we do uh, ask your blessings on, on James as he delivers this word and open our hearts to receive all that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Everybody awake? Yes. Amen. You know, early this morning, um, just in spending some time with the Father, He completely changed the introduction of this psalm this morning. And I realize it may be an entirely different message, uh, along with what God had given me for the psalm. My wife knows that can happen. So you might want to pray for me to be able to communicate exactly what God would have me to share with you. This morning, but I feel like we're at a very troublesome time in our nation. And that was confirmed to me even by when one of our precious sisters came up as I arrived this morning and began speaking the same thing that God was speaking to me about early this morning. And I thought that's just a confirmation that I need to share with you this concern that I have. And I think many of you have that same concern that something is amiss right now. Uh, something's amiss in the church. Something's amiss in our nation. Something is amiss in what we're experiencing as a people. And it's so burdensome. I just, uh, I just feel like God wants us to somehow begin to 
as a church, rise up with a very courageous and bold word that would perhaps see our nation turn back to God. I believe our only hope is national revival and spiritual awakening. I believe if enough people came to Christ in a short period of time, I'm talking about masses of people like we've seen percentage-wise in the Great Awakenings. If something like that were to happen where so many people would have their lives radically changed, their values, their thoughts, their philosophies changed toward the Bible and the things of God, then perhaps there'd be hope for our nation even to change once again. But without God's intervention, I believe we're facing even more challenging days ahead. And so it's so important for us to really just, I think, pray into and trust God to start ordering the steps that need to be in place for us to turn back to Him as a nation. Tomorrow morning, I have the privilege of visiting with Claude King and another national prayer leader. Um, many of you might recognize the name Claude King. Back in the 1980s and 90s, the Southern Baptist Convention had some major prayer leaders by the names of Henry Blackaby, T.W. Hunt, Avery Willis, who wrote Master Life and so many other great teaching materials, uh, Doug Beggs, Manette Drumright with the uh, WMU back then. And um, they saw in 1989 that we were under God's remedial discipline as a nation. And they went on Baptist Telnet and they issued a call to the church in America to turn back to God in prayer and corporate repentance. And you know that issuance of that call fell on many deaf ears. It really was spoken to pastors. And yet many pastors never heard the message. And when they did hear it, they didn't understand it because we are not a people who understand corporate responsibility before God. And by, by corporate responsibility, I mean that groups of Christians have always been held accountable by God for our sin. We are so individualistic. And as individuals, we think, it's just, it's just me. I'm responsible for myself and no one else. But when God sees us, He sees us as a group. I believe He even sees this class as a group. As God has brought you together into the fellowship and the uniqueness of this group, He sees us as a, as a church, as Highland Baptist Church. And he sees us distinctly from all the other churches in Waco. But then he sees all the churches in Waco as a group. And then he sees all the churches in the state conventions as a group. Then he sees our nation as a whole entity. And you just keep building all these groups. And God in Scripture always held groups of people accountable for their sin. Tomorrow in this meeting, we'll be trusting God to show us how to extend again to the pastors of this nation a call of accountability, challenging them to set aside time to examine their hearts as pastors to see if there's any sin, any sinful ways and deeds. And Ezekiel 36 says God always judges His people on their ways and their deeds. And you know, it doesn't take very long before we develop ways that are not God's ways mindsets, practices in the church. Uh, we today are living in a period where very little evangelism goes on in most churches, where the Word is not central in many churches. Right now in the U.S. and I guess it's just the United States, 74% of all the churches, and there are a ton of churches, that's not just Baptists, but all the churches, they're either declining or plateaued. In other words, they're not showing health or growth. And then the other 26%, many of those churches who may be increasing in numbers, they're not always biblically centered and perhaps not pleasing to the Father, but they've learned how to use the methods of man to bring in young adults and ministered children. And so we're living in a very perilous time, a challenging time, I believe, before the eyes of God. And the psalm that we're going to look at today deals with that very issue and it deals with what happens when God sees that there's sin in the lives of His children or the lives of groups of His children. Now, this week, 
I have just seen that we are certainly under the remedial discipline of God. Why? Why? Some facts came to my mind this week as I was just on the news. Uh, one headline said that we are approaching the record number of billion-dollar disasters that would break last year's goal-setting number. All of a sudden, around us, there's something in the natural realm that's shaking us that we're, uh, we're not taking note of. It's happening, but we're not making any spiritual connection between what we're seeing. And at the very same time, marriages in our nation are down in number. More and more people are not getting married because they're living together. That's happening in, in a rapid rate right now. Great decline. And while marriages are down, pornography is hitting all-time highs for men and women. In 2019, it was reported by one pornography provider that they had over 5 billion hours of their pornography site viewed. You know what that equals to? 500,000 years of time. That's one pornography hub. Just one. And I'm sure there are tons of those in our nation across the world. So pornography is on the rise. Marriage is going down. You know, it says in the last times, men will forbid to marry. And we are living that out right now. And we're seeing natural disasters like we have never had in number in the history of the world. God's trying to get our attention. And he's wanting us to turn back to him. Now, when he gets our attention, it's our opportunity Amen. to really be sensitive to his voice and repent or perish. And I think for a long time, we've just felt like as a nation, we're safe and secure. We've always been the greatest nation. We've been able to protect not only ourselves, but other nations. But you know, we're not as mighty as all, Almighty God. And it's important for us to be awakened right now and really hear what God is saying to us about these times. I just want to quickly read over a list that I put together this week of how God acts when His children depart from Him. And again, this will feed us right into Psalm 32. First of all, we need to understand these six points. Number one, God is a holy, righteous, loving Father who longs for those who are genuinely His children, genuinely His children, to experience a life-altering, Spirit-filled intimacy with Him and Jesus Christ His Son. That has always been God's plan for us is to be in an intimacy with Him where we're so close to Him, we begin to reflect His nature, His character, His purpose, His heart to see people saved. He desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants us to be reflecting that to a lost and dying world. He wants our generation to be faithful to Him here in the U.S., to certainly represent his character, his passion, his heart as his children. Number two, he desires his children who are abiding in him to manifest the fruit of the Spirit and to love him and others by obeying his commands. And you know, we're living in a day and age where division in the church is rampant. The unity we see in churches in Waco is rare. Working with churches all over the nation, I can tell you that what we're seeing here in Waco is very unique. Where Pastor John and Pastor Jimmy Seibert and others have led this city to be united, that's rare, extremely rare. And again, we are to be reflecting the unity of the Godhead, aren't we? The Trinity. And in most cities in this nation, that's not happening. Number three, when individuals and groups of his children depart from their love relationship with him and fail to repent of their sinful ways, he cannot idly stand by without bringing some form of remedial discipline into their lives in order to see that intimacy restored. What happened when you disobeyed your parents? Did anybody here ever get a spanking when you were little? 
Okay. Most of you guys, I was just, I wanted to ask a vote. How many of you got spankings from your parents? Okay. How many got time out? Okay. Okay. Would y'all stand? Would y'all stand? Okay. Now, what do we note about those who got time out? You got both. <laughs> Very good. You can be seated. You know, what a really good parent does is they're sensitive to what the child requires. And our father's just that same way. When God disciplines his children, sometimes all he has to do is speak. And we're going to see in Psalm 32 that David had that kind of heart where all he had to do was speak to the prophet Nathan. And what happened? He, re he repented. He changed his ways. At least he certainly was broken over his sin and confessed his sin. And that's what we're going to be looking at in, in this psalm today. There was a sense of his just having heard that he was disobeying. But others are not like that. Have you ever had children or maybe you were a child and you were a little bit more stubborn? And your parents had to do a little bit more to get your attention? We got spankings in our home. <laughs> It wasn't just time out that was needed. Now, fortunately, I had an older brother, and so he got most of the spankings. <laughs> I was very glad of that. I watched him, and I learned. And uh, if you're an older brother, blessed are you. <laughs> because you probably had to go through a whole lot more than your younger siblings did. Number four... Many individual believers, churches, cities, and all of us as a nation are currently experiencing the remedial disciplines of God because we have left that intimacy of a love relationship in comparison to our now love of the flesh, the world, the material things of this world, our entertainment. You know, I've gone to a number of churches in the last number of years, many for revival conferences. Even this last week, I was in a setting, two weeks, three weeks ago, I was in uh, Brownwood, Texas at Coggin Avenue and uh, focused on revival. I mean, they were focusing on revival and yet there were groups of people, instead of being in the ladies meeting where the word was shared and God was moving and working, there were people who were just really exercising in a room nearby. And I thought, okay, here's a part of the body here are individuals from the community who are missing the presence of God because we really love our exercise routines, our, our, our parties. We love that so much more than we love the presence of Christ. And that's hard. And then five, God's remedial disciplines have been present for a good while and are currently increasing because we failed to make the connection between our personal and corporate sins and the various remedial disciplines that God's been bringing on us in the past. One thing Henry Blackaby used to say all the time, and Avery Willis and T.W. Hunt was, we've got to make the connection between our sins and God's remedial discipline. If we don't make the connection, they will only increase. And then number six, if we do not discipline ourselves as we're exhorted to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and repent, then his disciplinary measures will continue to increase until the only resort becomes a more final type of discipline. Just look at the churches in Revelation. If you don't repent, remove your lampstand. And you can look back and see even at the church in Corinth, some were weak, some were sick. And when some failed to discipline themselves and repent, what did God do? He just took them on home. You won't repent? Well, just come on home. You won't honor me? You won't listen to me? You won't obey me and serve me? Well, just come on home. And God is capable of bringing a more final judgment on us than we can imagine as churches, as a nation. And it's time for us to be awakened. It's time for us to wake up and say, Father, what would you have us to do? Yes, sir. Pastor Mark Hitchcock in Edmond, Oklahoma calls it God's abandonment wrath. Romans 1. 
And that's exactly, if you look at Romans 1 and you see all this sin list, uh, you see sexual immorality, homosexual, lesbianism, you see all that described there, and it's God's judgment on us because of our sin, not acknowledging Him as God, walking away from our honor of Him and the love relationship He's called us into. And so, church, young Americans, older Americans in the church, it's time for us to be awakened and to once again cry out to God repentantly and humbly. And you look in the history of the church in Scripture and you see over and over and over again God calling His children back to Himself because we all have a tendency to sin. We all have a tendency to go back to the ways of the flesh and to just, uh, boy, experience pleasure and delight here. We shouldn't be a people who are living for here and now. We should be a people who are living for the eternity that God's called us to and honoring Him and loving Him. And if we do it now, it'll be so much more enjoyable when we get there, I think. And it can go on forever. Now, the good thing about all of this is that we serve a forgiving God, a gracious God. Turn with me to Psalm 32, if you would. And we find that this is one of, oh, what theologians often call uh, one of six psalms that's, that deals with uh, penitent living or repentance. Uh, last week, I think Reuben taught from Psalm 6. That is also a psalm that many see as, as penitent, but Psalm 6, Psalm 38, uh, I mean Psalm 32, uh, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Psalm 102, Psalm 130, Psalm 143. Those are just a number, six or seven psalms that deal with the fact that we have departed from God and we need to go through this process of recognizing our sin and being broken over our sin and confessing our sin and repenting genuinely and then seeking God's heart as to where He'd have us to go. And I love these psalms because they so reflect the challenges and struggles that most of us face. And I, I delight in the fact that David certainly is a king that we could identify with spiritually. Now, we probably couldn't identify with his wealth. We couldn't identify with the fact that he was king. He was the, the ruler over uh, Judah and Israel. He was a king in Israel for 40 years. For the first seven uh, probably six and a half years, seven years, he was king over Judah and um, he lived in the city of Hebron where he ruled. It was seven and a half, half years. And then for 33 years, he reigned over both Israel and Judah from Jerusalem. And the setting of the story in Psalm 32 takes place in Jerusalem. And let me just give you the background to this psalm. It Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 describe, for the most part, David's sin. If you were to talk about King David and his sin, what would be the first thing that comes to your mind? Bathsheba. And certainly, if you look in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, you see the accounting of that story. And because of our time, I'm just going to review it real quickly for us. But it was in the time of the year, in the spring, when kings often went to battle, it says there in 2 Samuel, that David was not with his troops, but he was where? He was in his, his palace, his palatial home that the scripture says is made out of cedar. And evidently that was a, a unique marking of somebody who was well off or somebody who was wealthy, and that he had this palace made out of cedar wood. And that's also described in Scripture. And it says that when evening came, he arose from bed. I thought, okay, uh, something was not right. Maybe in his, his walk with the Lord at that moment, because here he was, he was just, he was cruising and had an extended nap so that when evening came, he got up. You ever get your hours mixed up? I've got a feeling that King David was just, Boy, life of leisure, not working hard at that moment, although I'm sure he had things at home to take care of as king, things to address. 
But in his private life, here he was getting up when evening came. And he went out and walked in the privacy of darkness on the top of his cedar palace. And what did he see? He saw Bathsheba Sheba taking a bath. And in that dark moment, he became like a peeping Tom. He just lingered and tarried and watched too much to the point where his thoughts then, his sensual thoughts took over and he called for Bathsheba to come. Where was Uriah? He was with the troops where David perhaps should have been. We don't know that he necessarily had to be there with Joab, the leader of the troops, but he perhaps should have been. And so here was her husband away fighting for Israel. And David called for Bathsheba. They came. They experienced uh, immorality, sexual immorality. Uh, she sent word back to David, I'm pregnant. And then David began not only to, uh, he just tried to cover it up. He said, I've got to do something here. Uh, I'm going to be discovered soon in my sin. And so he sent for Uriah to come back from the battlefront, send a message to Joab, say, have, uh, have Uriah come and bring me news of the battle. And so he brought back word of the battle and his thought was, Uriah will go home, he'll have sexual relations with his wife and I'll be safe. Everything will be fine. But Uriah was so devoted and so committed that what did he do? Instead of going home, he slept at the front door of David's house. It probably was some sort of a, of a fortress area where other soldiers were. So he just slept with them and didn't go home. David thought, oh, no, no, this is not working right. You're supposed to go home. So he brought him in and after a few days tried to get him drunk, thinking he'll, he'll not think straight. He'll go home. I'll be safe. He didn't go home. So David conceived this thought in his head, I'll send him back to the front and I'll just have him killed. And so he sent a message in Uriah's hand to Joab, the commander of the forces, saying, put Uriah at a place where he will die. And that happened. Joab blindly obeyed his king without reason or thought. He said, I'm going to do exactly what the king says. And he pushed Uriah up too close to the walls of the city they were attacking and the archers killed him along with a number of other soldiers. You know, those men are never spoken of except in one little passage. But David's sin not only brought about Uriah's death, but the death of all the soldiers. He then had Bathsheba come on into his home. But you know, when you're the king, when you're the anointed king of God's anointed people, God cannot idly stand by and let your sin just go unnoticed. So what did he do? He raised up the prophet who became God's voice to King David. And he got his attention with this unique story saying there were two men, a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had many animals, many flocks. The poor man had one little, one little lamb, one little ewe lamb. And it was the, the pride of the family. The kids loved the little lamb. It was like a daughter to the man who owned it. And Nathan told this story to David and then shared how the, the rich man, upon having a guest come, went out and basically stole this little ewe lamb from this poor man and offered it to the guest. And at that point, David became enraged. He said, that man needs to be dealt with immediately. And Nathan turned and said, you are the man. And at that point, the conviction of God began to fall on David's heart. He was one of those, and you know David's heart, great worshiper, uh, Many of our psalms have come out of David's heart. At that moment, great conviction came on, on his heart. And he realized, all Israel knows that I have sinned. And it became very evident that he had offended the reputation of God and tried to cover it up. You know, we think we can cover up our sin. And we're not the king. 
And you know, everything about the kings are known. And we think, oh, we can get away with sin. But you know what? We can't. God sees and knows everything we do. And so immediately, David found himself in a place of repentance, confessing that what he had done was wrong. And God was gracious to forgive him and gracious to spare his life. There were consequences. The child was not spared. The life of the child ended. And so even out of his sin, a number of deaths took place. So what did he do? Look with me in the psalm, if you would, and let's, let me read through it. It says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, and how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I want to pause right there. If we were to label the different passages in this psalm, verses 1 and 2, we might say this is the, the blessings of repentance. And it's just like the, uh, the Beatitudes over in Matthew, isn't it? Where blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, blessed are those. We know that passage well. This is like a, a Beatitude here where David, having experienced the forgiveness of God, comes back to just rejoice and say, happy are those whose transgression is forgiven. And it's interesting the way David put into this psalm three words, really four, that would describe just about every aspect of sin. One is transgression. The other is sin itself. And then iniquity. And then he also speaks of deceit as well. And um, transgression is an offense against God's law. And he no doubt felt that. He knew the law of God. And he realized that when he committed adultery, he was breaking God's law. And so he said, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. And uh, forgiveness, and this word means to be taken away. And so when David felt that from God, he felt as if the, uh, the sin had just been taken off of him, lifted up off of him. And that's what's in that word is to actually lift up or to take away from a person that responsibility for their sin. The word sin, you know, that's uh, you've seen that picture in the past painted by many pastors of an arrow being shot that falls short of the target altogether. And so we're falling short of God's standards when we sin against God. And he says those sins are covered up. They're just completely covered up by the grace of God. And then the third was iniquity. And that's the unrighteous actions of a depraved soul. And carried in that Hebrew word iniquity is the, the thought of depravity, not even thinking straight. And that's what you see as the judgment in Romans 1, where eventually because we reject God as, as God and worship the creature instead of the creator, then God gives us over to depravity. And so even David said there's a sense where the forgiveness of God can cover all of that. No matter how deep your sin may go, whether it's a transgression or sin itself or iniquity, there's a sense where God's forgiveness can lift all of that off of you and cover it up in your thinking, in your thoughts, and you ought to be happy. That's what David was saying. He says, my heart just rejoices because in my relationship with God, I have felt that forgiveness. I have sensed that fact that he's covered up my sin and, and delivered me from the consequences of this depraved thinking that led me to do what I did. Have you ever beat yourself because of your sin? There was a time in my life where I struggled with one mental sin just over and over and over again. I remember just beating myself, falling on the floor, you know, just thinking, why do I keep going back doing this? I know it hurts God when I keep thinking this way and, and doing this. But to oh, to know the forgiveness of God that just says, child, I forgive you. And how many times did I ask forgiveness for that? 
How many times have you asked forgiveness for some of your sin? And there's a gracious God who just says, listen, I love you. You repent genuinely. I forgive you. It's covered. David felt that. I believe when you look at this psalm, you just have to sense David genuinely felt that. Now, the next part, verses 3 through 5, that sort of talks about the process of repentance. In other words, David's, David's uh, past experience with sin, the before and the after of repentance is described in these three verses. And it says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. And we can understand that here in Texas. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And so that's the process that he went through and it's all described in this song. Can you imagine the Hebrews singing a song about sin? Now, we sang a couple when we started today. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And this became that kind of song for David. And it came, became that kind of song for all the, the Hebrews who no doubt had this memorized and down their heart. And so when they went through personal sin, how encouraging this song must have been just to sing it. And here was the process that David went through. He says, when I kept silent about my sin, we don't know how long it was between David's sin and when Nathan appeared. We're not sure how long it took for Nathan to, to rise up, but it was long enough for David to feel the fever heat of God's conviction. You ever been convicted about something and you don't immediately deal with it? You can't get away from it. Because there's a loving God who just keeps drawing you back to the fact that our relationship's not right. I want to have fellowship with you, but your sin is keeping that from happening. Remember in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, what? God didn't even hear our prayer. And you feel like, oh, my prayer is just going to the ceiling and no further. Could be because there's a God who's just waiting, saying, I'm waiting on you. Would you get your heart right with me? You know, that psalm we uh, looked at last time, Psalm 5. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I'll order my prayer to thee. And eagerly watch Psalm 5, verse 3. It goes on to say that in God's presence, no wickedness dwells. And God's a holy God. And He will not allow wickedness to be a part of His fellowship. Does that make sense? He's waiting for His church. He's waiting for His bride to get her heart right, her relationship with him right, before the fellowship can be restored. And that's where we are in America right now. God is waiting on us. And he's spoken time and time again. In each decade, there's been a voice that God's raised up to call the church back to him out of sin, to get right with him. And the church has not listened. We've not made the connection We've not been like David where we just needed a word and we'd repent. And so decade after decade, the judgments have gotten greater. What our prayer leaders saw back in the 90s, 80s and 90s, it's nothing compared to what we're seeing right now. The natural disasters, the devastation, the pandemic. Do you realize many times God's judgment has been through pandemics? The last moment where God extends his wrath to man, I believe, will be through a pandemic. You'll see that in Revelation, in the last chapters of Revelation. Why? Trying to get our attention, church. Trying to shake us. Trying to wake us up to say, you've got to pause and let me show you how you've departed from me. In church, we've got to do that now. We've got to start taking more time and say to God, God, help us see how we've offended you. The same quantitative types of sins that we saw back in verses 1 and 2 are found right here in verse 5. Our sin, our iniquity, our transgressions. And if we confess and repent, and he went through a process 
of changing. He acknowledged his sin. He agreed with God that what he was doing was wrong. There was an acknowledgement. Yes, I have, I have not met your standard of righteousness. Uh, he didn't hide it. He was open before God. I agree with you, God, that what I've done is wrong. He confessed his sins. And confess means to say the same thing as and to be willing to repent. And that's the last step they didn't mention here. We see that so clearly in Scripture that, uh, that we've got to be willing to repent. We've got to be willing to change our ways. And I'm not sure we understand what repentance looks like today. Real repentance has never been completed until the change has taken place. And until we hear from God what He wants us to be doing instead of what we did. If somebody has a problem with anger outburst, how do you change that when these circumstances come up again that created the anger? Well, you have to ask God, God, what do you want me to do to handle this now? And you know, in the Spirit, He'll show us exactly what needs to be done, the change in our patterns, our thinking, our lifestyle, He will give to us. There, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with the temptation provide the way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. You'll be able to escape. Verses 6 and 7 acknowledge really the blessings of God's presence. We've been forgiven of our sins. It says, Therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. David said, when we're in a right relationship with God and we're facing challenging circumstances, instead of sinning, we can cry out to Him through prayer. And the floods will not touch us. Sometimes temptation comes in like a flood. And David said, you just need to pause. Cry out to God and say, God, I can't handle this. Temptation's too great. Would you show me what I need to do to change? And He'll, he'll show us the simple things we need to do to change. Turn the TV off. Don't watch that program again. Don't purchase that magazine. Don't go to this activity. Don't pursue this setting. Or when your wife is irate, just be sweet and smile. My wife is never irate. so <laughs> She's a very loving wife. I didn't use that out of personal <laughs> experience. Sorry, honey. <laughs> But you know what I'm talking about. The daily things that, that snag us. In those moments, God will show us exactly what we need to do in order to experience His righteousness and His power and His victory. And then in verses 8 and 9, God says, and this is the passage from God in this psalm, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I'll counsel you with my eyes upon you. Do not be as the horse or the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they'll not come near to you. Whereas he's saying, listen, if you're struggling with temptation and don't know how to change, I'll teach you. I'll instruct you what you need to do. But don't be like that old stubborn mule. <laughs> listen to me. Don't make me tell you time after time, this is what you need to be doing. Don't keep falling back into that same sin. And we're so often like the mule, aren't we? We just need that bit and bridle. You know what that is? That's the disciplinary measure of God that pulls us or pushes us back to the way we should be living. And then verse 10 and 11, the closing verses of this psalm, this is the fruit and the byproduct of walking with the Lord and also sort of summarizes the whole psalm. It says, many of the sorrows of the wicked... Whereas if you just keep sinning, sorrow is your destiny. It's surely going to be in your path. Suffering, challenge. But he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. 
If you'll just trust me to guide you through this life, instead of falling into leaning on your flesh, trust me, depend on me. I'll give you the strength to face any temptation and find victory. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. David said, when you find victory over temptation and sin, it's quite appropriate to rejoice. I'd like for us to take just a moment in closing, and we have just about five minutes before I think we're normally supposed to dismiss. I'd like for us just to be quiet for just a moment. I'd like for us just to pause before a holy God who's here and say, God, would you search my heart and show me if there is any wicked thing. You know, we, have, we, we tend to put up blind spots around our sins. Just like horses used to have those blinders put on their sides so they couldn't see over here to the right or left, we put them right here. And we don't like to see our sins like God sees them. So let's pause. Say, God, would you just show me my heart this morning? If he shows you any sin, would you take just a moment and confess that to the Lord? And Val, I know you weren't prepared for this. Is there a way you could just play something softly for us for this, uh, this moment? I appreciate you doing that. Just you and God listening to his voice. If you ask him, how you've departed from him, I have no doubt he will speak to your spirit and he'll tell you. Have you agreed with God about your sin today? When David did, he felt the joy of God speaking over him, you are forgiven. Father, we come this morning delighting in those words and knowing that through the precious shed blood of Jesus, our sins are covered. They're lifted off of us. We're forgiven. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to become a people who become so sensitive to you and the fact that you want us to be in an intimate love relationship with you. That we're moved out of that love relationship to walk away from sin instead of toward it to recognize that you're with us and to so fear and reverence you as holy God that we don't keep falling back into the same old sins 
Lord, I pray that you give us a consciousness to make the connection between your discipline in our lives and our sin. And Lord, I just thank you so much that you love us in a real way. Help us apply it for your glory. Amen. I sure love God and his love for us. You know, David said it was appropriate when you know your sins are forgiven to rejoice. So I thought it'd be good for us to close with that song, Hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah. Y'all remember that? Why don't we stand, okay? And let's just sing out to God a word of praise and, and acknowledgement of our love for Him just by that simple chorus, if we could. And uh, let's divide the room, okay? Can we divide the room? Right through this table. This will be the hallelujah side. You're the praise you the Lord side, all right? And that was loud praise. You know, David talked about loud praise in the Psalms. And so let's start over here, and then you do the praise you the Lord. Then we're going to switch it, all right? the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. We're going to do it one last time and we're going to do it louder. Unto the Lord, okay? You start. Ready? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. And the people all said to God, Amen. Amen. It may it be. Have a great day in Jesus.